0: You listen,
1: what to you? You listen, Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She is the Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor Inwintosh Faculty of Social Work. This show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Haudenosaunee, and and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. This land is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Historical and ongoing legacies of colonization produce injustices for Indigenous communities, and this podcast aims to understand alternative ways forward. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show.
0: Listeners, I am so excited to introduce you to our guest today, Bridget Picou, who is a nurse with several years of HIV and infectious disease experience. She's worked at aid service organizations, federal health centers. She's an avid blogger with the Well Project. She also writes a guest column with Positively Aware magazine called Living Bridget. She's so many things. I'm going to let her tell you about it. And you can read more about Bridget on the description of this show. So welcome, Bridget.
2: Hi, I'm so excited to be here. It's lovely to see you always.
0: Have we met in person? Not
2: yet. I'm looking forward to it, though.
0: Well, Project, you need to make this happen. I need to meet Bridget in person. It's so nice to see you. Where are you? Where are you calling in from?
2: I am in Palm Springs, California. California girl my entire life. I moved to Palm Springs a couple of years ago. And so this is where I am at. Living the dream. Palm Springs, I've only been there once. It's amazing. You know what? The weather is um, mostly mild and beautiful throughout the year, except during the summer months. And then it becomes... Burn your feet pavement hot. Mm. And you you know, people say you
0: get used to it, but you don't. You learn how to live with it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I was in very hot climate last week and we've a blizzard warning tonight. So there's snowstorm and all they just we just had it earlier this week. I'm like, come on. Really? Yeah. So I was in like really hot desert, uh the the Horn of Africa where the drought is right now it was so 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 hot and then now I'm like no it's a blizzard so I hear you're saying I don't know how you get used to the heat either because it's when you're in the place that's very hot it's all you can really think about at least for me anyways when you're outside
2: <laughs> absolutely absolutely um, it's, we've had crazy weather here in California too. Like there's storms. In fact, I was listening to the news this morning and we've had so much rain and snow that it has cut how much of a drought we've been in. It's wow. effect, effect So, um, we're doing better. Yeah. It, and there are people trapped in their houses in the snow
0: and it's just crazy weather for California. Wow. Well, I would love to come visit you. I've only been to Palm Springs once for a bachelorette party. Fun. Uh-huh. Dinosaurs. Yeah. I don't Dynas know. There was, some yeah. d- there was like mm-hmm. some parties and it was really beautiful. And there was yeah, we went to the there's some art in the desert on a mountain. I yes. Can't remember. Yes. <laughs> there's all these interesting things that I was like, oh, and it's warm. So yeah. you never know. Okay. So I'm gonna show up right now to Palm okay. Springs with I'm Matt. you're welcome. Thank you. I have you. an extra bed. Amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to take my time machine, which I've been perfecting over the course of the podcast, and mm-hmm. it can go through time and space. It can have many stopovers. Uh, it's COVID safe. I'm going to show up right now, this minute at your All house, right. and I'm going to ask you, take me in the time machine to when you started thinking about stigma and and and, and HIV or just stigma in general. Where would we go in the time machine? We
2: would probably go to the day of my diagnosis. I'm a woman living with HIV and I was diagnosed at 40, which made it a milestone, Mm -hmm. you know, in all these different ways that I wasn't expecting. Right. Like, you know, I was thinking I was going to hit 40. And all of a sudden I was going to be having great sex and this light bulb was going to come on. And all of a sudden I was going to be unbothered Mm -hmm. because that's what all of my friends who were older than I was told me was going to happen. And instead I get this totally unexpected diagnosis. I hadn't even gone to test. I had gone in for a separate medical issue, gotten offered a test. And I was like, sure, Mm -hmm. you know, like i didn't have anything to quote unquote worry about. And I remember sitting in my car after my diagnosis and thinking, I can't tell anybody. Mm. Like in my head, I have, a, and I, I I have a great support system. Um, I want to say that up front. My family is wonderful. But in that moment, I couldn't think of a single person that I could call without fear of what they would think. Wow. And so that was a whole other, I knew about HIV. I knew about AIDS. I wasn't completely ignorant of it, but it's not something that I ever thought about for myself. And so that was my first very personal
0: Mm -hmm. introduction
2: to HIV stigma.
0: And was, you were not in Palm Springs then?
2: No, I wasn't. I actually was living in Riverside here in California. I didn't know anywhere that did HIV care, I'd gotten a referral from the, the OB that did my test and gave me my results. But I had known people growing up that were LGBTQ. Um, I knew a couple of people that had HIVs, which is why I wasn't completely ignorant of it, but there's no community, right? So for me, even when I went to the clinic the first time, the doctor that saw me was an older, oldish, White gay man, and I distinctly got the impression that I was a number, right? Like he couldn't Mm. care less about this straight black woman sitting in front of him with this brand new diagnosis. Wow, and so it was just very matter of fact and not very personal and not very encouraging, other than to hear the words, you know, oh, you're not going to die, which people were very careful to tell me. My first, maybe five appointments, you know, every time I would come in, well, you know, it's not a, a death diagnosis, you know, you know, you're not going to die. It's not the same, but it was always very matter of fact and nothing was personal about it. Mm. And it was very hard for me to find a space for women, mm-hmm. a space where somebody looked like me, walk like me, talk like me. And it would be years before that happened. Wow, Years before that happened. And so that's one of the things about the Well Project is that it is a space for women, about women, and you can see yourself reflected in other women. All of the research is about men. All of the commercials are about men. All of the, especially in the beginning when I was trying to absorb everything that I could about HIV, it was always about white gay men and nothing about Even white women, let alone black women, are unique plethora of issues. So having found the Wall Project made all of the difference in the world for me for how I approached stigma. I had already started dealing with my diagnosis and was already doing work in an in an aid service organization and was already had already dealt with my self-stigma and Mm -hmm. my internalized feelings about my HIV and was was. Actually, I wasn't doing bad, but being able to find a community of women opened a whole
0: other space up for me. That's like such a powerful story. I've been working with folks here in Canada on projects, community-based projects with women living with HIV called Chivos and just seeing how few studies and they're growing, but still not not to the level of the people that are impacted that look at Things like racism plus sexism plus HIV stigma as experienced by say women of color and black women specifically living with HIV Mm -hmm. and how those really, as you said, shape your experience in that in the health system and, and, and in the world.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that all of the isms create a bubble and those bubbles intersect. Right. So for me, like the way that I've learned and and been conditioned to look at life is I walk into a room and first I'm a black woman, then I'm a woman
1: Hmm.
2: and then whatever perception people have of what my level of education may or may not be appears. And then you add HIV on top of that. And so it is very hard to filter through all of that and then not being able to see yourself reflected. And you're right. It has gotten a lot better. I have to say the the research is heading trending in the right direction, but look how long it's taken, you know, mm. we're 40 years into this. And so that's one of the more frustrating things is because it's taking too long mm-hmm. <laughs> and we keep having to shove and push and fight and claw for seats at the table and And it shouldn't even be a question that we should be sitting there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What would you say if somebody asked you, oh, it's 2023? Maybe someone who doesn't, who's not really connected to the field of HIV and maybe doesn't know people living with HIV. Mm -hmm. They're like, it's 2023. stigma is still something we have to worry about. What would you say to them? (laughs) Um, The very fact
2: that you're asking that question "Hmm," says that. Yes. Right. So the acceptability politics of HIV, HIV is a very normal thing, Mm -hmm. but to the general public, it is the most abnormal thing on the planet, right? Like they're still living in outdated fears and outdated ideas. I've literally, so it's been 10 years for me. So that makes it 30 years into the, the epidemic, right? I still know people who think that you can get HIV from kissing. Wow. Yeah. I still know people that have experiences where people come behind them and bleach silverware or bleach bathrooms behind them. There are, I've seen, literally seen and felt the physical withdrawal from someone when I disclose my status to them. So not only is stigma still a very real thing, it is, it is frustrating because There's what I call willful ignorance versus woeful ignorance, right? So woeful ignorance is I just don't know. Mm -hmm. And once I tell you about it, then you're doing your best to learn Mm -hmm. and go forward. But then there's the woeful ignorance of me saying to you, to certain people, like those stupid things that come out on Facebook all of the time you know, so-and-so group is putting HIV-tainted blood in X, Y pieces of fruit from whatever country, don't eat it. And that still happens. I
0: haven't seen It's been seen a couple those. of years, but oh. it
2: literally, like it's only been a couple of years. And if I say wow. that is impossible, it's, well, you never know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You do know, I just told you. That's woeful ignorance yeah. and it's very frustrating. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that stigma persists is because people refuse to let go of what they thought they knew. Mm. And when I put it in the context of this is the life that I live, there's a whole life being lived behind this acronym, this three or four letter acronym that you think you know.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I'm telling you, learn better, do better. But people, you know, Mm -hmm. woeful ignorance also gives plausible deniability, right? So if I don't know, I can make choices that maybe aren't the best for me without feeling guilt or shame or worried about. So stigma is huge. It keeps people from getting into care. It keeps people from staying in care. Um, stigma can create an environment where someone who has been in care and is doing very well can fall out
0: and not um not continue their care and It's very sad. I'm really glad you brought up this idea of ignorance, it's something I've been thinking a lot about because it's not innocent ignorance either you're given information and you choose not to have an open mind and to read it or information exists, but you haven't gone to Mm -hmm. learn about it because of some reason, usually some sort of bias or some sort of distancing yourself Mm -hmm. from that issue. Genuinely, there are some contexts. I would not include the United States as one of them or Canada or North America, where maybe it's a little harder to get access to good, reliable information. But as you said, it's been more than 40 years and, you know, I cannot tell you the number of times like I have conversations and I intentionally do have conversations about HIV all the time to try to have co- those conversations that people might mm-hmm. find stigmatizing. What What do you do? I do HIV research. Oh, and you'll get anything from people saying, why is it still a problem? Yeah. Like, you know, and then and sometimes you generally don't know. Yeah. Then when you talk about power and you talk about like all these different things that have to do with, with the shaping. Um, people's life experiences, mm-hmm. and they might understand. But I also find it really hard in contexts like Canada and the U.S., where there's criminalization of, oh. you know, HIV and people living with HIV, and and just trying to get people to move past the stigma that we we don't actually need to criminalize any human beings exactly for HIV. Or for other things like for drug use or sex worker, LGBTQ identities, like, you know, I have to criminalize human beings. Like, yeah, like there's some like one story they've heard one time in their life, which is probably a myth.
2: Exactly.
0: That they somehow are using that in the face of all of the evidence, all the science. It's like criminalization is bad for the health of people living with HIV. It's bad for it all is. of us. It is. And, and somehow there's this persistent sort of stigmatizing belief that it would still even be happening you know
2: every aspect of hiv is criminalized the idea that i would still choose to have sex or think i have the right to have sex as a woman living with hiv is flabbergasting to me right like you don't tell people who have diabetes or cancer that they can't have sex particularly in the case of cancer, you, you encourage touch and intimacy because it's comforting. Why don't I deserve that same comfort? Mm -hmm. There's this weird juxtaposition of blame associated with HIV as though you did something wrong to deserve to be where you are. And therefore Mm -hmm. you no longer deserve the simple pleasures in life. And that's so backwards. It's so backwards. makes me want to cuss. I won't, but
0: You you can feel free. It just,
2: it's ass backwards to me. Like humans are humans and persons living with HIV didn't do anything wrong. We had a circumstance that Mm -hmm. led us to be where we are. Whether that circumstance was a one-off or a series of circumstances um, and situations doesn't change the fact that we are now living with the virus that we did not ask for that is well-controlled now with medication. Mm -hmm. We are living long and healthy lives. My wish for everyone is that they thrive Mm -hmm. with it and recognize that, again, you're more than your diagnosis. But it is the single most criminalized condition, human condition on the planet. And it is mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, no matter how much evidence, and this is, you know, why you realize that, information is never enough (laughs) no matter how much evidence there's still this Mm -hmm. uh just knee-jerk reaction about blaming people for for an illness that that, you see this covid you see this with hiv you see this with mpox it's like automatic let's just blame the person who got what did you do wrong It's this moral judgment that's exactly it's so persistent the second stigma question I like to ask the experts who come on is to sort of walk us, if you could th- imagine a hypothetical person, walk us through a day in the life of, and how much stigma might just pop up here and there, just in a, an average day. You know, there might be some situations where we think, oh, there's definitely going to be stigma, maybe going to a doctor or disclosing to a new partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, those could also be part of the the regular day. But if there's just like, if you can imagine someone's waking up in the morning and, and what that, how stigma might just show up along a daily life of somebody or a woman specifically, or maybe a black woman living with HIV and not even just necessarily stigma or just around HIV, because we know stigma is intersecting with many different things. But I don't know if you have any stories you've heard from, you know, people who follow your blog or, you know, anything, anything you want to share with the listeners well you know one of the
2: biggest aspects of stigma i think we talk a lot about external stigma mm-hmm. and the stigma that we face from society but internal stigma is a thing
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so as a person living with hiv until you have come to come to grips so to speak or work out some sort of what i call a relationship i have a relationship with my hiv right mm. and so until you get to that level where you have that sense of comfortability, there's, there's stigma in your everyday life. Every time you get up to take your pills, you know, you take your medication every day, or even now with the longer term options, you know, if you're going in once a month for the long-term option, Mm -hmm. that is, if you're not in a place where you're okay, that's internal stigma immediately. There is the the stigma of HIV is a journey, right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't find out that you're you have HIV and then all of a sudden you're okay. It's a journey that ebbs and flows. And so wherever you are along that continuum, it is in the very beginning feel, you know, some people have this feeling where they're toxic. So not being able to touch someone or being worried about touching someone. I can remember about maybe a year and a half into my diagnosis, I was cooking for a friend and I cut my finger and I'm, you know, under the, the sink with the running cold water on it. And I'm like, hey, can you get me a Band-Aid? And she happened to know my status, um, knew that I was positive. And she came over to the sink to put the Band-Aid on my finger. And I was trying to take it from her. And she wouldn't give it to me. She wanted to do it, which was her way of saying, I support you, we're okay. And I remember falling on my knees, crying because here was this gesture that I'm not scared of you. And I didn't realize how much I had been holding in up until that moment regarding things like that or concerning things like that. And so the other ways that stigma show up is like you were talking about is is disclosure, do I tell, don't I tell. Sometimes even when you choose not to disclose your status to someone, you live with this idea that you're lying or that you're not being completely honest because you can't be your whole self. You're holding a piece of yourself back. So It manifests differently for different people, but at some point, everyone living with HIV faces not only external stigma, but internal stigma.
0: That was such a beautiful example. You're actually making me emotional about it, about challenging stigma. What role is your blogging playing on your guest column playing for you in challenging stigma? So... Blogging
2: for me, number one, is my release. It is how I get out whatever I happen to be going through or feeling. I write like I think. And so when I first started blogging for The Well Project, it was like, wait a minute, you mean I can put this out into the, the universe, not have to worry about who's going to see it? When I first started blogging, I was blogging under you know a nickname, a pseudonym. But just then being able to read other women's stories. And like I said, see ourselves reflected. Mm. But when I went public, like like public, public, and posted some of my blogs, one of the, the most powerful things that someone said to me when they read one of my blogs was that you're talking about a life with HIV, but I have this other situation and I see myself in that. Wow. And so... HIV is a an aspect of life that overlaps so many things and the ability to be able to tell a story about it or to express myself and know that not only are people seeing HIV, but they're seeing an actual life mm-hmm. and the fact that we are people and we do go through the same things that you go through and you can call it by any name you want to call it, but it's still a life. It's still a life process. And I'm always careful to call it a life process and not a disease process. Oh yeah. Because, you know, you can make a decision, either HIV is going to run your life or you're going to run HIV. And that was my choice. And so blogging has been a beautiful way of getting out the word that, you know, people living with HIV are still people. And Writing for, excuse me, writing for Positively Aware has been a blessing on another level because it's not very often that you hear the voices of women and Black women. Mm. And so this is a space that tends to be white male dominated. And I have a voice and a place there. And it's wonderful.
0: So, so amazing. And you're also an AIDS care nurse. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Tell me more about how, how does that fit in with your mission around reducing stigma and increasing visibility?
2: So my intent was to be a hospice nurse. That was what I wanted to do. My dad was sick for a long time. His hospice nurses were amazing. So I wanted the opportunity to do for one family what they had done for me. And instead, I got an opportunity to work at the aid service clinic that I was going to for my care. Wow, I turned them down the first time because that's not what I was going to do and discovered working there that I could be just by living my life, just by being who I was. Um by living my life, I could be a hope to people and it gives me the opportunity to give back to my community in multiple ways. I got my aids care certification as a way of showing my commitment to the work and a way of showing that I I don't just walk the walk. I'm talking the talk. I am doing what I can to help improve the lives of people. And my thing is not to be the technical, medical, know-it-all. I'm an emotional nurse. I'm the nurse that rubs you on your back. I'm the Mm. the nurse that holds your hand. I'm also the nurse that kicks you in the butt when I see you headed down the wrong path. Mm. And so Mm. to be able to battle stigma in those ways, I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me that they didn't think that they could be in the medical field, living with HIV or nurses who are quietly suffering, living with HIV. They're scared to tell their employers they're scared to tell patients because they're scared of the stigma and the blowback. Mm. And so being able to do it loudly and proudly is like, it's like a duality, right? It's, sticking up for my my HIV community, but it's also showing the medical establishment that HIV is a life process. It's a
0: disease. It is not something that precludes people from being able to do good work. And I also love what you said when you said you were an emotional support because that was missing for you from the doctors when mm-hmm. you were describing that you didn't get that emotional connection. It was like, like giving somebody, you know, their parking ticket number, yeah. not not talking about their whole their whole selves. Yeah, you're so Bridget. I'm so I'm so pleased to be talking with you. You're so amazing. Oh, I Thank you. I have one last stigma question before we get to some wild card questions. Okay. So the listener is maybe cooking, maybe walking their dog, maybe driving in their car, maybe sitting on a bus or a subway somewhere. What do you want them? to do, to be part of the solution? I want them to normalize the abnormal.
2: Mm. I want them to think about HIV and AIDS of the context of humanity as opposed to the context of disease. I want them to know that people living with HIV are not infected. Mm. People living with HIV have acquired a virus I want them to know to go and get tested, mm. right? It's very easy to judge someone from a place that you've never been in. And even if you feel like you have nothing to worry about, I'm I'm super careful with my words. I hate the word risk.
0: Mm, me too.
2: It gives people a false sense of security. And so even if you feel like you have not put yourself in one of these magical positions, that people say you have to be in in order to acquire this virus, go get tested just once the process of it will humble you and will give you an understanding Definitely. of what
0: people who are living this life process go through every day. I love that advice. I don't know if anybody has given that advice on this podcast, so I am so happy that you gave that advice and Depending on where you're listening in the world, you can go to a clinic for a test. If you're in the U.S., you could buy self-testing mm-hmm. kits at the pharmacies. There's a many options. You could Google HIV test near me. That is a really, really good, really good mm-hmm. advice. So before we go to the wild cards, which I hope you're up for. Sure. Is there any any last thing you wanted to say on stigma? I mean, you've said a lot, which has been wonderful, just Wanted to give you the chance in case there was one last thing before we get to the, this has been fun, but the fun part too. (laughs) (laughs) Just that stigma is hurtful. Stigma
2: can lead people to not be on this earth. Stigma is an easy fix and the easy fix for it is just to think about what you say. The easy fix is to get educated just a little bit. And not rely on what your uncle's, sister's, mother's, cousin's, nephew told you <laughs> 10 years ago, right? Like, there's there's a wealth of information. I also caution listeners that if you, for whatever reason, are inspired to find out about HIV, try to use reputable sources. Misinformation and disinformation exist in every aspect of this life, and HIV is one of them. So use reputable sources find a clinic, find a nurse, find someone who knows. And I don't mean like, don't go talk to a nurse that works in a podiatry clinic and ask them about HIV because you're not
0: going to get the answers you need. Find
2: someone who knows. And
0: I'll have a link. Thank you. That's really good advice. And I'll have a link for the WELL Project, which has a lot of resources on itself. And you 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 could learn a lot from that source as well. Absolutely. So Bridget, we're now at the place. Or we might do wild cards. Are you you open for that? Let's go. All right, let's let's go. go. All right. What are you binging on Netflix, Crave, Hulu, whatever is your platform of choice?
2: I am, and don't judge my life. I am one of those humans that doesn't really watch TV. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Now, when I was, um, I loved Insecure. Oh. Um, I still go back and watch episodes of Insecure because it was an amazing show. And there's another show called what is it? It's called Harlem, um, which is I about about that four completely different Black women living in Harlem, how their lives intersect and overlap. And it's actually a really good series. I watched the whole first season. The new season has started but I'm waiting so that I can binge it all at once. But that'd be the only thing.
0: Okay. Okay. I like that. So what is your karaoke song?
2: My karaoke song is Tracy Chapman, um, Fast Car.
0: Oh, I love that whole album. It's such (laughs) a good album. I thought I had it when it came out on the tape or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, pre-CD. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, you're going to make me want to go listen to that. Her voice.
2: (laughs) Indeed. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a great, that's a great karaoke song. Okay. The next question is you can go anywhere you want at any point in time with anybody you want living or dead for dinner. Where do you go and who do you take?
2: I go to dinner with. My mom, my mom passed away in December. So oh, it's still very fresh. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. It's, you know, but I, I go to dinner with her and we go to a little one-off place in New Orleans and we have crawfish etouffee and we just chat. Nice. Yeah.
0: I like New Orleans so much. It's, it's such a magical place. It makes you feel like you could be in a different point in time as well with all the old buildings the history Mm -hmm. the whole market
2: there's an air of freedom there that I think everyone experiences because I think and it's really about the expectation you have this expectation that New Orleans is going to be like a magical transport and so it becomes that for a lot of people So it's there, there's a reason it's a favorite destination spot and there's a reason people flock to Mardi Gras. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. The last question is, is there any quote or saying or poem or piece of wisdom that has helped you along the way that you want to share with the listener?
2: Absolutely. I'm an affirmations person. I have a lot of them, but one of my favorites is when you cannot find the light, be the light. Mm. And so on hard nursing days, on days where I'm finding HIV to be heavy, that is, that's what I remind myself of. I am having a hard time finding the light, but I can be the light for someone. And that's always my nursing goal is to be the light for someone. So, yeah.
0: That is beautiful. I love that. You're, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> it's been such a joy talking to you, Bridget. Like, wow, and learning from you. It's been, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. I, it's been my pleasure. I actually, I don't think I've done
2: a podcast before. So this was a wonderful experience and I really appreciate you having me.
0: I'm going to, thank you again. I'm going to have, send the listeners, and I'm sure you'll send me links mm-hmm. for your blog and your guest column. And we can all start following you and, <laughs> and hearing more about the journey of living.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that so much. I hope you have the most amazing rest of the week.
1: Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us again for more conversations with stigma experts from around the globe. Villainous.